Uh, we are in a series uh, talking about what does it look like to grow, to change, what does it look like to experience a deeper faith. And um, we, uh, we talked last week, this is a four-week series, we, we began talking about last week that, that life is hard, that there's all sorts of pressures and struggles that we face in life. And that's different for all of us, but, but we all have kind of pressure on us, things that are pushing your buttons, things that are difficult, things that are just pushing in on you in life. That could be work situations, or it could be family situations, or relationships, or all sorts of different things. But we all have pressure that is pushing in on us in our lives that make life difficult. And, and the big idea of what we talked about last week is that, that God is using those things. That God is active in those things, that God is in the middle of those struggles, that God is working in those struggles, that God is a part of those struggles. So we all have this difficult stuff in life, we've all got struggles in our life, but God is active in that, and God is working in that. So that's what we talked about last week, and, and this is really a continuation of that. So if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you maybe to go back and, and listen to that online, but, but as we talk about deeper faith. And this is really what the, the next few weeks are about. As we talk about experiencing growth and, and in the struggles that we face, as we talk about a deeper faith, I want you to think about this. Where, where is there a disconnect for you in your life from what you know, from what you believe, and from how you live or, or how you feel? Where is there a disconnect in your life? And maybe you would say that you know that God is good, and yet at various times in your life, you, you really feel, man, is God for me? Is God there? And there's a disconnect from what you would say you know, from what you would say you believe about God, or what you know from the Bible, but what you feel. Or maybe there's things that you would say, I know I'm supposed to love people, but I find that really hard to do. Or I know I'm supposed to serve people, but I find that really hard to do. Uh, or may, maybe there's things about um, the, the way God feels about you. Maybe it's forgiveness or God's uh, grace. And you say, yeah, I know those things. And sometimes we even use the language of, I know that in my head, but, but I don't necessarily feel that in my heart. And, and so as we talk about a deeper faith, I want you to think about just where is there disconnect for you in your life? Where is their disconnect? Because part of what deeper faith means is, is that there's a connection. There's a connection between the things that we know or the things that we believe and how we actually live and how we actually feel, that there's a connection that takes place. And part of what we want, what you and I want in our life is not to have that disconnect of, yeah, there's facts I know and there's things I, I, I believe about God and yet my life looks different or I feel different and those realities don't actually come to bear in my life. And part of what deeper faith means is that those things are connected. So where is there disconnection for you? Or another way to think about that is just where, where is the struggle in life for you right now? Not externally, but internally. Where's the struggle in life for you? Where is it that you find yourself going, man, I don't like that I'm like this. I don't like that I'm selfish. I don't like that I complain. I don't like that I'm bitter. I don't like that I, um, I struggle, to, struggle to forgive this person. I don't like that, that I, I feel uh, such an attachment to my stuff and I'm materialistic. Or I don't, I don't like that I feel such an attachment to my money and I find it hard to, to, to give money. Or I'm always concerned about money. Or, or I feel self-righteous towards people and look down on people. I know I shouldn't do that. Where is the struggle for you in your life right now that you go, man, I don't like that that's in there. And maybe that can be habits for you that you go, man, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep going back to the same pattern? Why do I keep responding like this? Why do I keep getting angry about this? Why do I keep why do I keep caring so much about what people think about me and, and giving in to their opinions? Or why do I, I mean, it can be all sorts of things, but, but for you, where's the struggle right now? Where's the struggle? Where do, you, where do you feel like you keep going back to things and you don't want to go back to them? Or another way to think about this is just where are you stuck? 
where are you stuck? And you go, man, I, I want to experience growth. I want to experience change. I want to experience something deeper. I don't want there to be this disconnect. And where do you feel stuck in your faith or your life and the habits and the things that you do and you don't want to do and you don't want to think and you don't want to feel? Where do you feel stuck? And a lot of times, in order to deal with that, what, what we do, and, and it's, I mean, we all have areas like this in our life, a lot of times what we do is try to work on that thing. So if you're impatient with people, you try to work on your patience, or if, you're, if you are, um, maybe you're kind of mean to certain people, and, and you go, man, I, I really want to work on my temper, I really don't want to be so angry, I, I really don't want you know, every day to start off on such a negative trajectory because I get in traffic and I, I kill people with my imagination at least, you know? Ever seen, uh, what's that movie, True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger? You guys ever see that? Uh, it's an oldie now, you know, it's a classic. And he, he's in the, he's like driving with this person and he looks over him and he like breaks his neck or something, but then you sh it shows that that was just his imagination. And there's all these different scenes like throughout the movie like that. And maybe you're like that, that you're driving in traffic or you're talking with someone and you envision yourself doing something to them and you're like, oh wait, that, you know, that was just my imagination. And where is it? that those things are happening, and sometimes to deal with that, we go, okay, so I got to work on my anger, I got to work on my patience, or I got to work on uh, my, my words, you know, people don't understand me, and, and, we all, and there's often like communication, I'm not just talking about they don't understand you because you speak weird or something, but there's, you know, there's communication tension, maybe in your marriage, and you say, oh, there's communication issues, and so we got to work on the way we talk uh, and, and, and the way we communicate with one another. And so what we do is we've got these different issues, we've got these different things, and we don't want them, and there's disconnect from what we believe and how we actually live and from what we believe and, and how we actually feel. And so we try to work on these different things, but, but really, those are all symptomatic of something else. And anytime you just try to work on symptoms, the problem never actually changes. For some of you, maybe you're like me, I've got a gluten allergy, and I, and I remember before finding this out that I had all the symptoms of people with gluten allergy. I lacked joy in my life because I couldn't eat good things. Um, I had headaches all the time. I would just like carry around ibuprofen and take pills all the time. And I had uh, stomach aches all the time. And I would just carry around Tums and eat Tums all the time. And they're, those are kind of good, so that wasn't that bad. Uh, <laughs> don't you love Tums? Like, why can't all medicine taste like Tums? Um, and, and I had, I mean, just different issues. I felt tired all the time and just kind of lethargic and, and I drank Red Bull and I mean, just like all these different symptoms that were there. And so it was, well, I got to deal with the headache and I got to deal with the stomach ache and I got to deal with the tiredness. And I got to deal with these different things, but it wasn't until actually figuring out what was happening inside of me, what was happening in the roots of me that led to change. Because I was able to experience, there's actually this issue that's leading to all these other symptoms. And this is what happens in our life. You see, there's, there's areas that you would think about of where are you stuck? Or where's the struggle for you? Or where is it that you experience disconnection from what you believe and how you live and what you believe and how you feel? And we try to work on the different issues and go, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want a lack of joy. I don't want a lack of patience. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be rude. I, I, and we work on that stuff, but often miss, hey, what's actually going on underneath? And so this is what we will talk about today, because in order to experience a deeper faith, in order to experience a deeper faith, we have to know what it is that's actually keeping us from experiencing a deeper faith. What's keeping that disconnection there? So what is it that keeps us from growing in the ways that we want to? What is it that keeps us from growing in the ways that we want to? What's going on inside? And the Bible gives us this answer, and it's, and it's an answer that is all throughout the Bible, but we'll, we'll just look at this one passage of what the Bible says really the core problem is in our life, in all of our life. And here's what it, here's what it says. 
This is in Romans, and Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So he says, look, there's all this ungodliness, there's all this unrighteousness, and you can put in that all the different things that we struggle with and all the different ways that we have issues with. And he says that what can be known about God is plain to them. That What can be known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So here's what he says. Look, God has revealed himself in all the different things. I mean, you look at the mountains and you learn something about God's beauty and his majesty and his power and his creativity. And you look at, you look at a donut and you learn something about his omnipotence and omniscience and that he would create something. You look at these things and you go, there's something about God that can be revealed in this is what Paul says. And, and yet there's something in us that leads to ungodliness and righteousness that, that, that doesn't want to acknowledge that, that actually wants to suppress the truth that we know about God. And God reveals himself to us, and there's something in us that says, I don't, I don't actually want to acknowledge that. And so they are without excuse. He says people are without excuse because God is revealing himself to us all the time. He's saying, here's who I am. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So he says, look, God, is, God reveals himself. And one of the ways he reveals himself to us is in creation, that you just look around and you can see things about who God is. But he reveals himself to us in other ways as well. Obviously, uh, in the Bible, God reveals himself uh, to us. And in Jesus, God comes and reveals himself to us. And he says, here's who I am. And there's something about us that doesn't want to acknowledge that. There's something that doesn't want to see that. And he says, so people are without excuse because although they knew God in some way, there's something in us that goes, I know God's revealing himself to me. Although they knew God, we don't honor him. We don't give thanks to him. We don't actually live our life in acknowledgement of who he is. And so our minds and our hearts become darkened. And, and then he tells us really what's underneath this, what the problem is that all of us face. And here's what he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now, here, now here's what he says. Here's what he says the problem is, the problem, that's, the, the problem of humanity at the core. And again, the, the Bible talks about this all over, but this is just one passage, I think, that is helpful in understanding this. The core issue, the core issue is that we exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. See, this is what the Bible calls idolatry. What the Bible calls idolatry or worshiping idols is exchanging the truth about God, exchanging worshiping God, exchanging the glory of God for worshiping something else. Now, when we think about idolatry, oftentimes what your mind goes to probably is if you were to just kind of think about, okay, what is idolatry or idols? We think of statues, right? Maybe those things over there. You're like, oh, there, look, there's some idols right there. Uh, you think of statues. You think of these, these things that probably in primitive cultures they would bow down to and make sacrifices to. And, and maybe you think of a, a temple and some sort of food offering set in front of them. Or, um, you, but something along those lines, right? These big different statues representing, uh, you might think, Egypt kind of stuff, and, and the big old statues they have there. You may, you may think of uh, movies you've seen with Nicolas Cage or people like that, and, and just big, like, old-timey statue people doing stuff with giant eyes and creepy things and, and all that, right? The Illuminati or whatever. You think of all that kind of stuff, and you go, that's idols, it's this kind of old school worship that people did, or maybe even you th think today in other countries where you can still see images of that kind of stuff. But what, what Paul says underneath that is there's, there's something going on. Like, why did people do that? 
and, and still happens in other places. But, but what, what is idolatry? What are people doing with that? Why are, why are they worshiping? Why are they building these statues and these temples and these different gods? And, and what is actually going on? And if you think about idolatry, really with the point of idol worship and the statues and all, the point of all of that stuff is in some way to be able to control our life, in some way to be able to manage our life, in some way to be able to get what we want out of life through the idols that are there. So you can think about, um, and maybe if you remember from, I don't know, when people in middle school or whatever, you study Greek mythology and those different things, you think about there's different gods and goddesses that represent different things that people would want. So there's a goddess of fertility, right? Aphrodite. And so if you want love in your life, what do you do? You go to Aphrodite and you make a sacrifice to her and you pray to her and you worship her and you, you want love and so you go to the God of love to get you love. Or maybe wisdom and so you go to Athena and you ask her for, you ask her for wisdom in your life and you pray to her and you may make a sacrifice to her and you may make some sort of offering to her in order to get wisdom from Athena. Or something, you want children, so you go to a fertility god or goddess. Or you want to win in uh, battle, and so you go to Mars, who's the, the god of war. Or you go to Jupiter, or you go to these different gods that represented different things that people wanted out of life. See, idolatry wasn't just this, oh, hey, look, let's build a statue and, and worship this um, wood, or worship this bronze, or worship this... Idolatry is a way to control our life. That there's something we want in life, whether that's wisdom or children or success in your business, your crops to grow or success in battle or love or wisdom or what, some sort of provision or protection or blessing or care in your life. Something that you want and the idol can provide it. The idol can give it to you. The idol can bless you with it and bring the salvation in your life that you long for. We want something, and the idol gives it. See, what, what idols did, and this is the whole concept of idolatry, what idols did is offered the thing that we really love, the thing that we really want. They offered the worth and the value that we wanted out of life. They offered the identity that we wanted out of life. And there's a whole plethora of gods to choose from because people are different and we want different things. Some of us really want wisdom and some of us really want love and some of us really want children and some of us really want success and some of us really want money and some of us really want uh, our image to be known and some of us really want all these different things and so there's all these different gods but the whole concept of idolatry is you can control your life. You can control your life. You, you can get the things in life that you really want, that you really value, that will really give you worth and a sense of identity. You can get them, and the idol will give them to you. The idol will provide that salvation that you want, that you long for. Now, this is why the Bible says this is a big problem. This is why the Bible says that this is actually the core problem that's always existed and, and is a very real issue for us today. Because what we are made for, what you and I are made for, is not to just believe that God exists. We're not just made to, to believe in some generic way that, oh yeah, I believe in a God. But we're made to love, to know, to be defined by, to really be in relationship with, to have as the center of our life, God. That, that's what we're made for. We're not just made to, to know that God is there, but to actually say, God is the one that gives me worth and value and identity, and I know him and I love him, and he's the center of my life. But the problem with idolatry, and this is the core issue that's always existed, is instead of God, we seek that elsewhere. We exchange, as Paul said, we exchange the truth about God for a lie. We worship and serve creation rather than the creator. We exchange the glory of God for other things. That's, all, that's, that's the, the problem that, that Paul sets up. 
that the Bible sets up, that it gives to us. See, what keeps us from growing in the ways that we want to? What keeps us stuck? What keeps the disconnect happening in our life? Here's what the Bible says the core issue is and has always been. It's that instead of God being the one that we get value from and worth from and identity from and it's at the center of our life and is what our heart is pursuing, we exchange that for something else, whatever that might be for you. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. We exchange being defined by God to be defined by something else. We exchange our heart's pursuit of this is what's most valuable instead of God to be something else. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. See, idols are anything. Anything that you love more than you love God. An idol is anything that you look to and expect, this is what will give me good in my life. Anything that you are saying, this is actually my, my refuge from the chaos of life. Anything that you say, this, this is this is really what I value. This is really where I get my identity. An idol is anything that you trust in, that you get your worth from, your identity from, instead of God. There's that exchange, that replacement that takes place because we need that. We need something that we put our hearts on. We're made that way. We need something that we say, this is what my heart connects to. This is what I live for. This is, this, is what, this is what actually is good in life. This is where I'll actually experience worth and value and identity. And this is how I'll actually know that life is something and that I'm something. We need that. And if we don't go to God for it, we have to replace it and find some substitute. There's some exchange that has to happen. And what Paul says is, here, here's what the core problem is and has always been with us as humans. Instead of looking to God for that, we look elsewhere for that. You see, where are you stuck? Where in your life do you go, man, I, I don't like that I have a temper. I don't like that I'm unkind. I don't like that I'm selfish. I don't like that I am stuck in lust or that, I, that, I'm, that I'm rude to people or that I, that I feel self-righteous to people or that I care so much about what other people think. Whatever it is, where, where are you stuck? Where is there a disconnect? We know that we do things, whether that's lying or gossiping. or We know that we do things. But why is the question? Why is that happening? Why is that there? Why are we stuck? What's not just the symptom, but what's going on underneath? And what Paul says and what the Bible teaches is that the core issue is always idolatry, that the sin that is beneath all the other sins, that the, the causal sins underneath those symptomatic sins that the sin beneath the sin is always this, instead of looking to God, we look to something else that then leads to all sorts of different things in our life. See, and this is different for different people because let's say that you gossip about somebody. Why do you gossip? And maybe you're gossiping because you're seeking to get that person's approval and maybe approval for you is, is an idol. If I know that other people like me, then life has value. But maybe somebody else is gossiping, not because they care so much about other people liking them, but they're actually trying to control a situation. If I tell them this about this person, then I can kind of maneuver this situation to get what I want. That's more of a control. Man, I, life, what I really want out of life is to be able to control life. That can be an idol. See, we all do different things, whether you're gossiping or lying or you're angry or you're bitter or you're anxious. There's all these different symptoms, but why? What keeps us from actually growing in the ways that we want to? And what Paul says is idolatry. The sin beneath the sin is that we exchange the truth about God for something else. We worship other things. We build our life on other things. We center, there's something else we actually want. It's probably not Athena. It's probably not Aphrodite, but it may be wisdom, it may be love, it may be power, 
It may be comfort. It may be control. It may be all those other things that in primitive cultures people built statues. But that we have living in our heart. See, if we understand that idolatry is not just the statues and temples, but it's about setting our heart and our life on other things that replace God, we can start to understand, oh, that, that's actually active in my life. That's part of what is going on in my life. So what, how, do, how do we recognize those? That is what the problem is. The problem in our life that keeps us stuck, the problem in our life that creates disconnection, the problem in our life that keeps us from experiencing a deeper faith is there's other things in our life that have replaced God. Other things in our life that we're building our life on and defined by. How do you know, though, for you what that is? Because it can be all sorts of things, but how do we recognize what those are? It's just a lot of times Christians... And if you're not a Christian, that's, that's okay. You can experience this in your own life as well. But, but a lot of times Christians will say something like this. They'll say, look, I know that the reason I do this or this or this, the reason I do this, I, I know it's a heart issue. And that's true, but that's very broad. That's like saying, I know I'm sick because it's a virus issue. Well, that's true, but in order to treat that, you have to know what virus. You can go about that very different ways, Right? So sometimes we, we stop because we say, yeah, I know that I'm doing these various things because it's a heart issue. But don't actually go deep enough to say, well, what heart issue? What is it? How do I actually recognize what's going on in my heart that is leading to the things that keep me stuck? And we each have these. We each have ways where we look for meaning, for value, for our worth, our highest pursuit. We, we each have those. And in those things, we, we work to serve those things in our life. We sacrifice for those things in our life. Paul says that they worshiped and served the creature instead of the creator. See, whatever this is for you, it means it's something you will sacrifice for. You might not make a sacrifice of a goat that you kill and offer as they did before, but you make sacrifices for the things that you worship. You serve the things that you worship. You say, I, I, will, I will make sacrifices in order to have this, because this is God to me. We work for them, we serve them, we sacrifice for them, we give our money to them, we give our time to them. We organize our life around them. We even pray to God for them. If you think about what somebody would do in, an, in a temple with a statue, those are all the things they would do. They would set their money before it. They would pray to it. They would make a sacrifice for it. We do the same thing. So what is that for you? Here's the thing. Usually it's a good thing. Paul says they worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator. And creation's good. Wisdom is good. Love is good. Success is good. People liking you is good. Those are all good things. But when it becomes an ultimate thing, when it takes the place of God, when we look to it for what only God can give us, family, good thing, but can easily be something that we say, this is how I know I'm somebody. This is what defines my life. This is what, this is what I actually organize my life around. Success, health, all good things. Here's some questions that may be helpful for you to think about in figuring this out. What do I worry about the most? What do you worry about the most? Often those things that we're afraid of, the thing you're most afraid of losing, that shows you what your heart is actually set on. What if you failed or lost it would devastate you? Now, you can lose a lot of things and it doesn't matter that much, but what if you were to lose it, it would devastate you? Maybe it's your job, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a child, maybe it's, maybe it's your house, 
Maybe it's your, your wits, just like your thinking abilities. Maybe it's your reputation. What do you use to comfort yourself when things go bad or get difficult? So that, that's saying, what do you run to for refuge and shelter? What, what preoccupies you? What do you daydream about when, when, you're, when you're just kind of at neutral and you're not you know, doing work or watching TV, but your mind's just kind of at rest? What does it start to go to automatically? What do you daydream about? Is it a person? Is it a stage of life? Is it something in the past? What makes you feel the most self-worth? Or what am I the proudest of? For what do I want to be known? That's getting at identity. That's getting at how do you know you have some sort of value and worth in you? How do you know you're okay? What do you look to and say, man, this is how I know that I'm okay. This is how I know I've got value. This is what I want people to know about me. What do I lead with in conversations early on? What do I want to make sure that people know about me? Similar. What do you say when you, when you meet somebody or you're taught, what do you like to make sure that they know? What prayer unanswered would, would make me seriously think about turning away from God? Are there things that you pray about that you ask God for? And, and, and if God were to say no, if that wasn't actually to happen, it might actually cause you to go, okay, then I'm done. You're not doing your end of the bargain, so I'm out. I've asked you, God, over and over again for a spouse. I've asked you over and over again for a job. I've asked you over and over again for success. I've asked you over and over again for peace. I've asked you over and over again for health. And you're not doing it. So maybe I'll go somewhere else. What do you get defensive about? I know none of you are defensive, but we know some people that are, right? And those people, what do you get defensive about? And when, you, when someone says something to you, look, if you tell me I'm a bad athlete, I'm going to go, yeah, I know. But if you, if you say something else, if you say, hey, you're probably one of the worst pastors I've ever known, Ugh, that might sting. If you say, hey, you know, you're probably like bottom half percent of husbands in the world. That might sting. So what do you get defensive about? What is it that if somebody offers a constructive criticism to you that you might get a little prickly about? What is it if somebody makes an offhanded comment that you get, what if it's not even, they're not even doing that, but you read into that? What do you read into emails and texts and emojis and you go, I think they might have meant that because that's what you're defensive about. That's what you're sensitive to because it may be something you're actually building your identity in and it feels like your identity is being attacked. Maybe that your God is being attacked. Say, so what do I really want and expect out of life? What would really make me happy? What is it really? That you go, this is really what I want in life. This is what will really bring me happiness. This is what will really bring me fulfillment. What is that for you? What's your hope for the future? When you, when you think about the future, what does that look like? See, these are just some good, helpful questions. These are by a counselor named David Powelson. These are just some helpful questions to think about. That you can start to go, okay, what is it for me that I've exchanged for God? What is it for me that instead of God, I've looked to this to define me, to bring worth to me, to bring value to me, to be the center of my life? What is it instead of God that I've gone to? Paul says, look, you're stuck. There's areas in your life that, that you want to experience growth, and sometimes we're so busy going after the symptoms, we miss the actual disease that's eating away at us. What is it for you that has taken the place of God, that, that tends to take the place of God? And why is this harmful? Like, why does this actually matter? Because this is important. 
And yet, Paul says, Paul says this, which is, should be a warning to us. He says that when we do this, we become darkened in our understanding and we think we're wise. Here's what that means. It means that these are present in our lives and we think they're not. It means these are present in our lives and we claim to be wise and actually say, no, you don't understand. This is actually a good thing. This is actually what I'm supposed to do. This is actually fine. He says one of the things that happens with idolatry is that we claim to be wise and our foolish hearts are darkened. So there's this deception that happens that we do to ourselves. You know this, that you've experienced this before when there's something you really want to do and all your friends or people are like, no, that's not good. And you're like, no, it is because of this, this, this. And then you go ahead and do it. And then you're like, crap, why did I do that? Why didn't anyone tell me? And everyone's like, we did, but you didn't listen. You see, we claim to be wise, but our foolish hearts are darkened. And these harm us. These bring about dangerous consequences in our life that none of us want to experience. And let me give you just a couple ways that this is true. Why we need to make sure that we're able to identify what these are. They harm us and they harm people in our lives. They harm us because any idol says this to you. If you get me, if you have me, you'll be okay. If you get me, if you have me, life will have value for you. If you can get me, if you can have me, you will experience life. That's the promise that an idol says to us. The problem is we can never actually attain it. We can never actually get to it. So we're always short. It says, if you have, all you got to do is get me. All you got to do is have me, and you'll be fulfilled. You'll know that you're a person of value and worth. Life will be happy for you. But we never actually get it, because we can never actually get enough of it. My favorite quote about this is from a man uh, named David Foster Wallace, not a Christian. There's a great movie, actually, a couple years ago that came out about him. It's got the Facebook kid. I don't know his real name, but he was in the Facebook movie. Um, it's got that guy, great actor. Um, so great that I don't know his name, but he, he is good. Um, but it, it, he, this guy was a brilliant author, and he spoke at a college in the commencement speech. And this is just a quote from, from the whole thing that he is saying to students. But he talks about this very thing. And he talks about, and he, again, this guy's not a Christian. He's just an insightful person that understands idolatry and worship. And, and here's what he said. He says, here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to, be, uh, to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths, or some inviolable set of ethical principles. So he says, there's some reason to worship something beyond ourselves. Is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's, it's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing... They will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid. A fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. Obviously, I disagree. It's that they're unconscious. They're default setting. See, this is very insightful just about how humans work, even not from a Christian perspective. But he says, look, idols, whatever you worship, it will harm you because you'll never actually be able to get it. If you worship money, there's always more money. If you worship beauty, it'll start to fade and there's always someone more beautiful. If you worship wisdom, you're always going to be afraid that that people are going to think you're not as smart as you say you are. And when things change and knowledge changes and you don't catch up, 
He says, you worship anything, it'll eat you alive. And he says, this is happening at an unconscious level. It's our default settings. There's no such thing, he says, as atheism. See, whatever you worship, it'll harm you because you'll be anxious and you'll be stressed out because it says, if you can have me, you'll have life. And so we'll be freaking out to get it and always stressed that we don't have enough of it. Do they like me? What do they think of me? Continually assessing what other people think, if that's what it is for you. Continually looking at your money and your portfolio, if that's what it is for you. And oftentimes it'll damage us because we will be filled with guilt and shame that we haven't been able to get it. See, if this is our God, if this is where meaning and value and worth and identity and purpose and joy actually come from, and we haven't quite been able to reach it, often then we're filled with guilt because you've let your God down. This is why people often say something like, I can't forgive myself. Even for Christians, they maybe say, look, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. What does that mean? It means there's some God that you have failed that is not forgiving you. Something that you have let down that is really what is most important to you and really what is most central to you, that you've let down. And so you feel guilt. You feel unforgiven because you haven't been able to actually get the thing, the God that you've let down. You can feel this with all sorts of different things. I know a lot of moms feel this way. I know a lot of Christians just in their Christian life, people trying to be whatever. I mean, we can feel it with all sorts of things. If I can be like this or do this, and we don't, we failed our real God. And we can be devastated or guilty and just carrying around shame or, or maybe, maybe just distracting ourselves. Maybe you don't often feel very guilty because you're actually just distracting yourself, that there's some God you've failed, some place where identity is found for you that, that, you, have, that you have not lived up to. And so you just numb with TV or alcohol or pornography or video games or the garage or exercise or all sorts of things because you have to distract yourself from the fact that you have let down your God. It doesn't just damage us, it damages our relationships. Because if there is something here that is not God that we've exchanged for, we said this is where real value and joy is found. You know what that means? It means we look down on other people that don't have that. If for you, intellect is God, we have to look down on other people that aren't as smart as us because it's God. If for you, success and wealth is God, then of course we look down on other people that don't have God, that are less successful, that don't make as much money. Anything that we value, that we look to as our God, we look down on other people that don't share that. This is why a lot of people get really upset with Christians and find them very self-righteous. Because if even for you, morality is God. It's how you know you're good. It's how you know you're okay. It's how you know that there's value in your life. And you, you, the identity of being a, a moral, upright person, a good Christian, that to you is really where you're getting identity and value and worth from. Then you look down on other people and you're very judgmental towards other people that aren't living up to the same moral codes that you do. That's why people get really upset a lot of times with Christians. Because there's a self-righteousness. And self-righteousness means there is myself is righteous because I'm living up to the standard of myself of where I get identity. 
You see, I've got this righteousness, and so of course I look down on other people that don't share it. See, it damages, relation, it damages us, but it damages relationships. It hurts community. If we set up anything else as God, we look to that and begin to judge other people by that. And it damages relationships because if this is really our God, we use people to get that. See, if approval is your God, you don't really love people. You want them to help bolster your identity so you can get your God. If a relationship is your God, then a lot of times in a relationship, you're using that person. You might even tell them, I love you, you're everything to me, you're my world. But really what it means is, I'm using you to get my God of a relationship. So you better not mess this up. I see it damages relationships. It damages us. Paul says, look, here's the core human problem that's always existed. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. You want to know where you're stuck in life? You want to know why you're stuck in life? You want to know why there's disconnect from what you say you believe and how you live or what you say you believe and how you feel? It's not just symptoms of stuff. There's something in our hearts we've exchanged. There's a real God that we worship. So, finally, how do we experience freedom from this? Because all that can be kind of heavy, right? All that can be like, man, my heart is even good things, even things that aren't bad things, and whether that's people's opinion or a relationship or family or even being a good person, man, I mean, that can be kind of heavy. And I think we also can notice, yeah, that is destructive in my life. I don't like what that does to me. I don't like what that does to my relationships. I don't like the guilt that I experience from that. I don't like the anxiety that I feel from that or the anger I feel. I don't like that. So how do we experience freedom from this? If we want to experience a deeper faith, if we want to experience change, if we want to experience growth, we need more than just to change behaviors, but to get it, the root. Because if you see bad behaviors, if you recognize bad behaviors, that can lead you to better behaviors. But if you recognize a bad God, that can lead you to a better God. And Jesus wants us to be free from this. He doesn't want the damage that happens to us and to our relationships. He wants to give us a better God than what we worship. One that doesn't harm us and damage us and damage our relationships, but actually brings life to them. One that doesn't enslave us to guilt and to shame and to fear and to stress, but frees us. And I love the way that Paul says this when he writes to the church in Galatia, talking about what Jesus has done. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. He's saying that God has adopted us into his family because of what Jesus did. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. He's saying you used to worship things, but they're not, they're not actually gods. And you were enslaved because of that. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? See, what he says about Jesus and what Jesus did is instead of being a slave, we can be a son and someone that is adopted into God's family. Instead of being a slave, we can be a child of God. Instead of worshiping false gods that create slavery, we can worship the true God that creates, that creates real worship with God as our Father. See, here, here's, a, here's, here's what God wants to do. He wants you to experience a deeper faith which doesn't just mean a greater knowledge, but it means that you actually know a better God. See, idols demand to be served. They say, get me and you will live. They demand to be served and they demand that you earn your worth 
Do this and you will have value. Be a good dad, be a good mom, and you will have value. Be a good worker, let people like you, be respected, be wise, be beautiful, and you will have value. They demand to be served, and they demand that you earn your worth, and they demand that you're sacrifice for them. But what we know about Jesus is very different than that. He doesn't demand to be served. Jesus says that he came to serve, not to be served. He doesn't make us earn our worth, but he gives us value and worth freely because of what he did on the cross. He doesn't demand that we sacrifice for him, but rather he came and sacrificed himself for us. Which is to say this, that God even knows that we set our lives on other things and our hearts on other things and that we value other things and that we worship other gods. And his response is to come to this world and to die on the cross, to forgive us of that sin of idolatry. And to give us his righteousness, to give us his worth and his value. See, every idol demands that you serve it, that you sacrifice for it. And Jesus says, I'm a better God than that. I serve you and I sacrifice for you. And when we begin to see that kind of God, when we begin to see Jesus like that, That's what begins to have the power to change this exchanging the truth about God for a lie. So what if there's a better God that doesn't bring slavery but makes me a child? What if there's a better God that isn't a a master saying, if you can get me, you will live, but says, I give myself to you. I bring life to you. That's what begins to get us unstuck. That's what begins to bring about a deeper faith. That's what begins to bring about worship that is genuine and true. So here's what this means. What is it for you? Do you know? Identify what those idols are for you. And talk to God about them. Confess those things to him and say, God, I've worshipped this instead of you. I've exchanged the truth about who you are for something else. Identify what those are and talk to him about them because he's a better God that wants to bring freedom and joy and life, not slavery. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this reality. And even though it can be kind of heavy to think about these things, I know it can be kind of scary to think about these things. But God, I thank you that you want something better for us than being enslaved or as David Foster Wallace said, to be eaten alive. You want something better for us than that. You want us to experience joy. You want us to experience a relationship with you that is deeper. You desire good for us and you are a better God than all these false idols that promise something to us but can never deliver. And so I pray, Lord, even as we take communion and as we sing a few songs, that that you would help these truths about who you are as a better God, as a good God, to go into our hearts. And even this week, as we think about this, that you would free us from the slavery that we have to false gods. In your name, Jesus, we pray.